Good praise. Uh, today is the uh, uh, fifth lesson, but last week was a climax, actually. And the Romans, uh, the main core argument is done uh, by the end of chapter uh, 8. And from chapter 9 to 11 as a, uh, is the implication of what uh, Paul argued from chapter 1 to chapter 8. So before we uh, move on, uh, read, I'd like to recap together uh, what Paul is really talking about. And I wanted to uh, have that in your uh, memory. Uh, so, uh, you have understanding uh, of the basic gospel. And without understanding Romans, uh, we don't understand what Christians believe. Uh, Romans is uh, basically what we Christians believe. Uh, in that sense, Paul is amazing. In one book, he really summarizes uh, what we believe uh, and then uh, what Jesus meant to all of us. So the biggest question that uh, Paul is putting out is righteousness. This righteousness <coughs> How do we achieve uh, this righteousness? That is the biggest question. Uh, because this righteousness uh, will free us from all the bondages. And then how can we be righteous? That's a question. And so right in the beginning, he talks about sin. And because of this sin, Righteousness is not possible. Uh, and then he describes the sin of the Gentiles and Jews. And then ultimately he defined that Jews and Gentiles are equal. They are alike. They are alike because of the intensity of sin. Uh, so, I mean, of course, you can say some people are a little bit more righteous than other people, but compared to the immensity of the depth of the sin, that comparison is meaningless. So I gave uh, uh, the example of Simon and myself, that uh, he's a little taller and handsomer and all that. But when uh, you uh, look at us from the top of CN Tower, that we are both dots. You know, it's a simple dot. Uh, so sin, he recognized that sin is not, you cannot really boast about your righteousness. Uh, considering that, uh, considering the immensity of the death of sin, you cannot really say that I'm a little better than you. That, that doesn't mean anything. So he discovered the, the core, the depth of sin. Uh, and I think he discovered it. It's not moral sin he's talking about. Because uh, morally he was uh, quite uh, pure. Uh, 
uh, it's not a legal sin, uh, but just he recognized the depth of his sin by persecuting Christians, by going against uh, God. He thought that he was a good uh, follower of God, but uh, he actually did not really, uh, he did not understand God. He did not know God. Uh, he thought he knew God pretty well. Uh, he thought he was an expert on knowing God, but he didn't know God. He uh, uh, realized. So, uh, so that's what he discovered. And then, now, he, he then, sin is controlling us, and so he realized that this concept, the law, Righteousness always is to do with law uh, in Paul's mind uh, that you have to keep the law to be righteous. Very simple formula. You have to keep the law to be righteous. That formula was very simple to Paul, but he realized that I cannot keep the law. I cannot keep the law uh, because I can... Uh, follow the letter of the law, but I cannot fulfill the spirit of the law. That's what uh, he's saying. I mean, I can follow all the letters of the law, but I cannot really follow the spirit of the law. In that sense, he's not, uh, in that sense of keeping the law, I'm, I'm uh, flawless as far as law is concerned. That's what he said, but that doesn't make sense to him anymore. I, I thought I was flawless as far as law is concerned, but he realized that that doesn't make sense because uh, I don't really fulfill the spirit of the law. What's the purpose of uh, fulfilling the letter of the law when you cannot fulfill the spirit of the law? Uh, so he realized that uh, uh, I cannot uh, fulfill it. And then because of this, because of the sin, and then he Explain to us is law bad? He's saying that law is not bad. Law is spiritual. Law is good. Uh, and then two functions of the law. Who are they? Two functions of the law. First, come on. Make us aware. <laughs> aware. And second, turn to God. Aware and turn. So you, without law, you don't know your sins. So through the law, you know your sins. You're aware of the sins. And then through the law, uh, you after you're aware of your sins, then you turn to God. That's what uh, law's function is. But when law is combined with sin, instead of law being spiritual, law became deadly weapon of sin to uh, give us fear, to give us false pride, and to make us feel guilty. These three things we discovered. Uh, we uh, discussed last week. So, law with sin 
makes you fear, uh, makes you have false pride, and makes you fall into guilt. So that's what law is. In that way, the law pushed you into death. Law destroyed you, killed you in that sense. But it's not really the law that kills you. It is the sin uh, that kills us. Using the law. And using the law accused us. And in that way, it destroyed us. And then the mistake is that aware of your sin, first of all, Jews, they could not, they did not even, was not aware, they were not aware of their sins. Uh, instead of being aware of their sins, by keeping the letter of the law, they thought that they are, they are, they are not sinners. By keeping the letter of the law, they thought that they were righteous. So since they, they didn't feel that they are not righteous, they didn't have to turn to God. They, by keeping the law, the letter of the law, they always live with this false confidence that I know God and I'm righteous before God and then salvation is guaranteed for me. That kind of uh, attitude uh, they lived with. And then Paul is saying with this whole thing, salvation is not possible follows, he realized. And then, chapter, what chapter was that? <laughs> chapter eight? Uh, Seven or eight. Six, <laughs> Six I think. <laughs> Good guess. <laughs> I think chapter six, he said, he said, there is Another kind of righteousness. After he explained everything, he said, there is another, actually, that's a chapter, sorry, John. Chapter, chapter, chapter 3, verse 22. Chapter 3, verse 22. Oh, yeah, that was the other one. We'll get to that soon. So, chapter 3, verse 22, he said, there is another kind of righteousness. And then he redefined righteousness. Because with our righteousness, it is impossible to have righteousness. So we don't have righteousness. So he's saying in chapter 3, 22, there is another kind of righteousness. And then he talked about God's righteousness. And that righteousness is not our righteousness. That righteousness is God's righteousness. And then he tries so hard to explain what God's righteousness is. And it is so hard to explain what God's righteousness is. And then what he's saying basically is that God's righteousness, God's righteousness is God's loving desire to want to save us. That's God's loving righteousness. God's loving desire to want to save us. He wants to save us. That is righteousness. And then he discovered that that was righteousness. And then who revealed that righteousness most clearly? Jesus Christ. Even sending Jesus Christ. Uh, and then 
let him die even. That that much desire God had to want to save us. That God's righteousness is what frees us. And then he discovered that freedom in Jesus' death and resurrection. Because Jesus did not die for his own sins. Jesus died for our sins. Jesus took his, our sins upon himself and died. And so when he was raised from the dead, that is not a statement about Jesus. That is a statement about our sins. Because, because of our sins, he died. And then when he was raised from the dead, that sin has been dealt with. The sin that Jesus took upon himself was dealt with. So, resurrection of Jesus Christ is not the statement about Jesus. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is a statement about our sins. In other words, our sins could not kill Jesus, could not leave Jesus in death. Then, in the same way, our sins cannot leave us in death, cannot kill us. As they could not kill Jesus, they cannot kill us. As they could not leave Jesus in death, they could not leave us in death. That's why we have hope that ultimately will rise from the dead. As Jesus was raised from the dead, we will rise from the dead. And that's the confidence Paul had. And that uh, righteousness. And so, uh, in chapter 7, he really uh, points out, you know, I don't understand myself. I try to do the good, but when I look at myself, I do the very opposite of the good that I want to do. The evil that I hate to do, I keep doing that. Uh, he's saying that. And then, he, I mean, with the law, he was truly aware of it. And then turned to God, and in chapter 8, actually chapter 8, the beginning, there is no condemnation in Jesus Christ. I mean, he talks about his dilemma in at the end of chapter 7. He talks about his dilemma. And in chapter 8, he says, there is no condemnation in Jesus Christ. You know, I didn't say that to you, but uh, actually, there has to be a drum roll after chapter 7. There has to be fanfare with the trumpet. And then, you cannot just say, there is no condemnation. You, you can't say, there is no condemnation anymore in Jesus Christ. You have to shout out. That's, that's what chapter, chapter 8, that's what he proclaims to the whole world, that, that there is no condemnation, no more condemnation in, anymore in us, to us. You know? That we are completely free from the uh, uh, sin because of God's righteousness. God's loving desire to want to save us. And that he wants to deliver. This loving desire of God to want to save us. That's what saves us. And he wants to let people know. Because Jews did not understand. The Israelites did not understand that. 
And that was the end of chapter 8. And then final thing about chapter 8 is that there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God. And he talks about love of God. And he talks about the spirit who God will guide us, strengthen us, uh, and empower us. And then also... <coughs> Spirit who convinces us that we are children of God. And we call God as our Father. That we are the children of God. And then Spirit continuously tells us that who tells us who we are. We are children of God. We are daughters and sons of God. That was the end of chapter 8. Now, in Okay, you should be able to do what I do, what I just did. <laughs> In your own words, uh, you have to really, this understanding has to be built in. Because that's basic Christian gospel. Uh, and then you have to almost memorize it. Okay? But you have to understand it first. It has to make sense. So, after ch chapter 8, now in chapter 9, he goes in, 9 to 11. What about Jews? What, what about Israelites? What's happening with them? So he's about uh, uh, talking about Israelites, but he's not really talking about Israelites. There is a, the, message is the message has an implication for all of us. That's what we are going to study. So with that in mind, we are going to study 9 to 11. So first read NRSV. Today there will be no confusion. And there's an IKKV, that's my version. Don't read IKKV yet, just uh, read NRSV. It's a little long, three chapters, but try to skim through. Difficult about the Bible is that it was written 2,000 years ago. Uh, the language and the expression and all that is so uh, different from ours, so it is hard to really uh, understand what Paul is talking about. So sometimes we lose uh, the, uh, the, the flow or thread. Uh, instead of uh, finding the thread, we lose a thread. And then we focus on something that, that is not that crucial. That's not that important. So it is important that we need to find the thread so that we can uh, understand the flow of Paul's uh, thinking. So uh, let us look at IKKV, uh, Romans uh, 9. <laughs> now the gospel has moved from the Israelites to the Gentiles. And I have a great burden for the sake of my own people. God blessed them so much, and even the Messiah came from them. But now they are cut off from God's work of salvation. But we need to think about who the true Israelites are. I have realized that being a true Israelite was completely God's choice from the beginning. Isaac was given by God to Sarah. How about Esau and Jacob? <clears throat> even before they were born, before they had done anything good or bad, Jacob was already chosen to be the true Israelite, not Esau. Isn't it injustice on God's part? Some, some may ask. 
I have realized that God has the absolute power to have mercy on those whomever He chooses and hardens the heart of whomever He chooses. Then how can God ever blame anyone when it is not their choice to have a hardened heart? We human beings have no right to tell God what to do. God will have mercy on those God chooses to have mercy. God has chosen to have mercy on those who are not part of Abraham's biological descendants. That was what the prophet Hosea foretold already when he said, Those who are not my people, I'll call my people. Isaiah also talked about remnants. Not all the Israelites will carry on God's work, but God's work will be carried on by those remnants. It is God's sovereign decision to give mercy to whomever he chooses, but God's choice was made in this way. Whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So that's a basic outline of chapter 9 of Romans. Let us look at chapter 10. <clears throat> it is not that the Israelites did not have zeal for God. They had much zeal for God. But their zeal was not enlightened. Since their eyes were not open, they could not see that the true righteousness would come from God. They were busy trying to fulfill the law on their own. And in the meantime, they could not submit themselves to God's righteousness. Jesus Christ fulfilled what the law demanded. And now instead of trying to fulfill the law on our own, we can submit ourselves to the righteousness of God shown through Jesus Christ. The righteousness from the law and the righteousness from faith are different. The righteousness from the law demands you to work hard on your own. But the righteousness from faith does not ask you to do what is impossible, like, like going up into heaven or going down into the abyss to achieve righteousness. You have the word near you. If you confess with your lips that Jesus is the Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Faith comes from what is heard, and what is heard comes through the word of Christ. That's basically chapter 10. So now we'll get, uh, let's look at chapter 11. So since Israelites were blinded and could not see the righteousness from God, has God rejected his people? No. Didn't you hear Elijah? He pleaded with God against Israel once. He said, Lord, they have killed your prophets. They have demolished your altars. Alone, I alone am left, and they are seeking my life. Then God said, I have kept for myself 7,000 who have not bowed the knee to bow. Like that, there are still remnants who are chosen by grace. They will keep their faith and carry on God's work of his righteousness. What then? Israel failed to obtain what he was seeking. The chosen ones obtained it, but the rest were hardened. So I ask, have they stumbled so as to fall? By no means. Through their stumbling, salvation has come to the Gentiles. God used their stumbling for the salvation of the Gentiles. And then how much more can God do if they are fully included? It is like this. Some of the branches were broken off, and the one a wild olive shoot was grafted in their place to share the rich root of the olive tree. So be careful. Don't be proud. They were broken off because of their unbelief and how much more easily you can be broken off. Persist in God's kindness. If you, a branch from a wild olive tree, can be cut off from the wild tree and grafted into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these natural branches be grafted back into their own olive tree? So, do not claim to be wiser than you are. This is a mystery. 
A hardening has come upon part of Israel until God finishes the work of work for Gentiles. And so all Israel will be saved. God has imprisoned all in disobedience so that he may be merciful to all. All right. Today, actually, the uh, topic is not that difficult. Uh, fairly simple, straightforward. One thing that we need to really work on is fairness of God. That's probably the only thing that we need to really work on. Is God fair? Uh, is God just? So, I mean, God started the whole thing uh, with Israel. But somehow, the Israelites rejected what God was doing, including Paul himself. But luckily, uh, Paul was able to open his eyes and see, uh, he could see most of what most of Israelites did not have that opportunity. And Paul realized, why did God choose me? He said, I don't know. God has mercy on those whom he has mercy. I didn't do anything particularly better than others. It is in God's mystery. He says, I don't know. Why God chose me? I don't know. But somehow, he was able to see what most Israelites could not see. It's not that Israelites did not have zeal for God. They had lots of zeal. Sometimes too much is too much is ill. They work hard for God. They try really sincerely, uh, try hard to keep the law to be a good person, good people. They make sure that they uh, always uh, give proper worship to God. Uh, they fast it uh, at least or once a week or even twice and. They give tithing all the time. They kept Sabbath holy. So they made sure, uh, sure that they kept the dietary rules. They tried everything what God told them to do in the Old Testament. But the most crucial thing, the most crucial thing, and that is they did not understand. Period. They did all the good works, everything that they were demanded to do, but one most crucial thing that they did not have, that it was understanding. They were not enlightened to be able to see what Paul saw. They did not know where the true righteousness comes from. That is a crucial Deadly. If you don't know that, doing everything else becomes nullified, becomes futile. Most crucial thing is you understand that righteousness comes from God. Romans uh, 10 to, I put it up here so you don't have to look for it. Can you see it? I can testify that they have a zeal for God. So all recognize that they have zeal for God. But it is not enlightened. That zeal is not enlightened. For being ignorant of the righteousness 
that comes from God and seeking to establish their their own I missed that one their own they have not submitted to God's righteousness that is a core problem of the Israelites they're busy doing their own things and they did not know where the righteousness came from so they could not even look to God they could not submit to God they were busy on their own doing all the good stuff you know this tells us very important message working hard for God and working hard for the church is not enough oh now I come to church you know Every Sunday you come, you work in the uh, kitchen, and you do this, that, and that, and you give offering, and then all kinds of things, and then you become an elder, and you become uh, a deacon, or whatever, you know, and then, okay, oh, now I must uh, be good enough to be saved. I must be good enough to go to heaven now. It's a guarantee. And the thing is, no. <coughs> when there's no understanding where the righteousness comes from and we don't know what salvation is all about doesn't matter how long you have been Christian doesn't matter whether you're Christian from birth doesn't matter your ancestors generations ago had been a Christian doesn't matter Paul, this understanding that righteousness comes from God was crucial. It's not about how much you sacrifice for God. It is about how much you really understand God loves you. In the story, I mean, what Paul did was Jesus' story. Jesus' message, and then he really put it into perspective. For example, prodigal son, the younger son did not do anything. Right? He came back. He had nothing good that he could sh uh, show. He wasted all his money, he came back. And the father, oh, you came back. Kill the uh, fattened calf, and then bring the rope, bring the rings, and they treat him like a king. And the elders got upset. All this time, I worked so hard for you, and you didn't do a single thing for me, and you, that prodigal, that corrupted son, comes back, and you do all that stuff. This elder son worked hard. But crucial thing is, he did not know how much God, father loved him. He just lived in that house like a slave. He didn't understand. The crucial thing is he didn't understand how much father loved him. And all, everything in that house was his. He didn't even know that it was his. He was not enlightened to see God's love. He was not, can you just leave it there? 
He's not, he's not enlightened to see God. He has a zeal, but he was not enlightened to see God's love. So experience of this love from God is crucial in Christian journey, Christian walk. Without experiencing this love, without understanding this love, Christian journey is not possible. And that's why in chapter 8, it ends with inseparable, inseparable love of God. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. We have to have clear understanding of that, whether we believe that or not, whether we truly accept that or not. Does salvation depend on me or does salvation depend on uh, God's love? Paul eloquently articulated that in other book, 1 Corinthians, he said, If I speak in the tongues of mortals and of angels, but do not have love, I am a noisy God. Or a clanging symbol. And I have prof prophetic powers and all my all mysteries and all knowledge. And if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give away all my possessions, and if I hang over my body so that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. That's core of Paul's message. Here, if I have all the faith, here, that faith is not faith that Paul is talking about in Romans. That faith is piety. Paul is not talking about that faith. In Romans, the faith is not piety. Religious piety. Knowledge is not knowledge in your brain. In Romans, for Paul, faith and knowledge is simple. Oh, I understand God's love. That's faith. That's, that's knowledge. Oh, God loves me. I realize that. You walk, all of a sudden, God loves me. I'm God's child. You understand that? That understanding comes like a truth. Nothing can defeat that. That revelation, that is knowledge, and that is faith for Paul. How much God has done for us. What a great and wonderful work of God in sending Jesus Christ. There's no such God in this world. So, then this faith, Paul is saying, where does it come from? Faith comes from hearing, like this, this kind of situation. You hear about the righteousness of God. You hear about God's love. So faith comes from hearing. Hearing is hearing the word of Christ. And that is good news, that God wants to have mercy on us. God wants to forgive us. God loves us. And God wants you to turn to God. Don't fear. Don't worry. Don't fear about your weakness. Don't fear about your darkness. Just come.
all you gotta do. That's all you need to do. You don't need to think about it in a com complicated way. Just leave things as it is. Just come to me. Just return to me. That's all you need to do. From there, that point on, I'll take care of you. That kind of message. You don't have to shape up. You don't have to uh, clean up all your uh, the dark uh, things. You don't need to do it. Just come and enjoy the fellowship with me. These words should awaken us and enlighten us so that we can understand that righteousness comes from God, not from us. We need to believe in our heart that God loves us and God even sent His Son Jesus Christ to show how much God loves us. And not only we believe in our heart, but we need to confess that. Confessing means you call out unto God. So Romans 10.10, 10, he says, For one believes with the heart and so is justified, and one confesses with the mouth and so is saved. Believing in heart is important, but also confessing and calling on the name of God is important. Also, it is our desire to share this good news to those who need mercy, God's mercy. We need to confess that. We need to tell people, hey, don't worry, God loves you. God really cares for you. That message, we need to confess that. We need to tell people. Romans 10, 14 to 15. But how are they to call on one in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in one of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone to proclaim it? And how are they to proclaim him unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. We are the carrier of this good news. And we need to continuously go out and share this good news. Not in a religious way, because you felt that, ah, finally I'm freed. I'm delivered from my own bondage. By God's right, such a good news that you want to share with other people. I was going to give you this question to uh, discuss, but let us leave it uh, because we don't have much time. The uh, question is why is it important to share the good news? Uh, not religiously. Not religious to make them Christian, but you just want to tell them that you don't need to live in that bondage. No? You don't need to. You no, know, you don't need to come to my church, but you don't need to live uh, in that bondage anymore. Uh, just live it to God. See, when God called Abraham from the beginning, that was what God wanted to do. 
That was how God wanted to build relationship with, with human, human beings. From Abraham. But somehow, people went on their own way. Instead of accepting God's love, they went on their own way. And Isaiah expresses it in this way. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have all turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. That is the Lord is uh, that uh, on him is that Jesus Christ. Uh, all the sin upon him. So it's a Isaiah passage, it's a Messiah passage. Uh, Isaiah uh, 53. There, the problem, the core problem was they went on their own way. But the thing is, God did not give up. Nobody, today's 9-11, what, what, the strong message is that God did not give up. God did not give up. Nobody listened to him and went their own way, but God did not give up. God worked out his salvation by choosing those who understand God's righteousness. Or God chooses them first and then make them understand. No one was interested in God's way of salvation, but God chose those and had mercy on them. They experienced God's mercy and carried on and shared that mercy with others. And then Paul is redefining who true Israelites are. It is those whom God chose to have mercy on. Let me, let me explain. Uh, everybody went their own way. Everybody committed sins. And then God could say, okay, give up. I cannot do anything. But instead of doing that, God chose this, this, this. And then God poured his mercy upon them so that they turned to God and thank him. And they received mercy and they lived. With their mercy. And I tell other people, when you believe in God, when you turn to God, God wants to give you mercy. You too. So these chosen people are supposed to go out and tell other people to do so. Do you understand what I'm saying? And then when God chose not the bloodline of Abraham. Even among Abraham's descendants, Jacob was not chosen. Oh no, Jacob was chosen, but Esau was not chosen. So it's not purely bloodline. And later, Hosea saw that. Now, God chose not all my people, but other people. So this narrow stream is not, narrow stream is not really Israelized by race. But God chose these people to give mercy. And these remnants, Elijah, Elijah talking about remnants. I mean, he was uh, really uh, fighting against Baal and all. Everybody turned uh, again, uh, away from God. They turned to Baal and all that. And then I, Elijah was so discouraged. All my people have turned their own way. And God said, I have left 7,000 people who did not bow to Baal. And these are remnants who carry on 
the work of mercy of God carry on. Isaiah is saying, Isaiah's uh, theology is very strong on uh, remnant. It's like stump. On the stump, we are cut off. But from the stump, stump, there is flower, shoot coming up. Uh, from the hopelessness, there's hope coming up. And then some people, I want you to discuss. And then, oh, then it's not fair that God cho chose some people and not others. <coughs> we discuss. Do you think it's unfair? All right. So what do you think? Is God unfair? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's your conclusion. Okay. God is for us to understand why and what and everything. So it's not for us to judge in our in, in our small, small, small capacity okay. to be able to to know So we just have to accept. Okay? <laughs> <laughs> <Or> others. Okay, please. Enlighten us. I, I, uh, we think that yeah. uh, God is always there. Okay. Um, and I think that we, we say that because his purpose was to save every one of us. Yeah. His purpose is ultimately to save every one of us. It's only that at the at moments in our lives, we think that we are not chosen. We think that some of us think that we are not chosen, or some of us think that we are chosen. Mm -hmm. So there are moments in our lives that we, we perceive as we are we kind of decide, but we know at the end of our days we will be saved. And 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 in when you look at in the long term perspective, I think that we have to say God is always better. Mm -hmm. I don't know. What it okay, that well, sounds very profound. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think there's good material there. Yeah. Yes, we also said, so God chose everybody, but it is some people who did not choose God. So it looks like some people are chosen and not others, but we really chose everybody. That's what the devil is saying. But it is us who did not choose God. That's what I said. I mean, we have to interpret, right? We have to understand. What Paul is trying to say. And Paul said, by no means. Is God unfair? Is God unjust? No, Paul said. What does that mean? Okay, other opinion. I think we discussed pretty similar things. Like yeah. God invited everyone, but you know, whether you respond or not, so there's, uh, um, you know, there could be salvation or not. So your response, 
but your response itself is not like doing something or nice pretty basic simple faith but some people can have that some people not responding okay. and uh, we discussed a little about predestination in a sense what does that mean somebody's already destined to save somebody's not destined to save but I think that's not our perspective, maybe God's perspective. God already knows who's going to be saved, who's not going to save. But it's really because of our response mm -hmm. to the God's invitation. Okay. Good. Good. I think yeah, I think he's fair, but I don't think he's equitable. Everybody has has different has different uh, different talents, and whatnot. But I, th I think the reason why I think he's fair is because those he he calls to do certain things, there's a responsibility that comes with that. Yeah. Right. Uh, it's not free. Yeah. Uh, there's a there's a certain responsibility. Mm -hmm. But I, I think the the harder question is in terms of I think it's easy for us here to ask, is God fair? But I think if we were in a in a different situation, uh, let's say we were uh, extremely poor, extremely you know extremely abused all the time as, as youngsters, and we just grew up in that environment. I, I think it'd be hard for us to say God is fair mm -hmm. in that environment where we had no say. Mm -hmm. Right. That's it. You're bringing another. Good. How about others? We, we, are, we are trying to understand what Paul is trying to say here. Okay, let me ask you this question. When God called Abraham, uh, and then, I'll bless you uh, so that you'll bless uh, all other uh, people. When God chose, uh, called Abraham, do you think it's fair? We don't think about fairness there. We just think about God's word, right? We don't think about fa fairness. That's how God started to work, right? Right? That's what Paul is saying. That's what Paul is saying. Paul is not saying that, oh, I love A, but I will love B. That's not what Paul is saying. Everybody turned their own ways. God said, just come to me, and then if you just trust that I will love you, I love you, then you can receive all the blessings from me. But they said, no, I'm busy doing working for God. So they were doing their own thing. Please come. They, they don't hear. They don't listen. So, Ki, come here. <laughs> I'm going to bless you so that you Tell people, I didn't do anything but God blessed me and God, and you tell other people. So I chose you to do so, not just to bless you, through you, to bless everybody else, right? So Abraham was chosen not just for his own blessing, he became a vehicle, channel, through which all other people may be blessed. God chose Abraham to do so. Right? right in the beginning, chapter 12 of uh, Genesis. 
I'll bless you so that all other people may be blessed through you. So everybody, I mean, I shouted and shouted and shouted. Nobody listened. So finally, okay, I'm going to start one by one. And then, then these people, people become the vehicle of telling other people about the good news. That it's not that, oh, God chose this film. We don't know anything about God. And God has all the power. And he'll choose whatever. That's not what Paul is saying. He's saying he chose some people as an instrument to bless all other people. Is God unfair? God cannot even do that? Everybody turned away, and God wanted to do something for humanity, so God chose some people to do that. Is that unfair? God cannot even do that? You understand? You understand? Some people might ask questions. Why just pick three people? Why not pick? Well, everybody can come, but they don't listen. They decide not to listen, so just pick a few, right? From the beginning, if they just come, anyone who believes will never put, be put to shame. That's what God said, right? And, and two, yeah. you know what? I, I just saw it from a different angle, too, because I thought, if God said somebody raised their hand and I'm going to choose you, everybody would look away. Like, don't choose me. Yeah, yeah. So that's right. to be chosen. Yeah. That's right. Might not be what you want, like in that context. So now I got to do that. I don't want to do that. I don't want to look like an idiot. So to be chosen, when you say it the way you just said it, that's not necessarily feeling like a good thing. Um, so it yeah. makes things very different when, yeah. when you look at it that way. Yeah. There's a burden. There's a burden. Uh, yeah. yeah. It's not just good. Yeah. Uh, sometimes uh, there's a burden. Yeah. And then Paul felt that burden too. Why me? Uh, sometimes. I mean, I mean, thankful at, uh, you know, on, on one hand, but on the other hand, the burden is too heavy sometimes. But that's where you know, grace comes in and spirit comes in uh, to help out and all these uh, things. So sometimes we are also, uh, as a chosen instrument, you go through so much suffering and hardships and difficulties. Like Jesus, uh, he went through all the cross, went through difficult things, but that was he was chosen uh, to do. So it's not really, oh gosh, uh, I got free house, or I got free this, <laughs> free that, and great, all other people don't get it, all too bad. <laughs> so it's not that kind of, uh, there's a, tremendous cross that we need to bear uh, as a chosen uh, instrument. Right? You understand what? I, I oh, think yeah. that when God chose Abraham, it also means that God chose every one of us. Huh. God wants to choose every one of us. God wants to choose every one of us. So in that way, you can't say why did God call Abraham and not me? That's right. Yeah. When God called Abraham, that means he called each one of us. Yeah. So, so when you are thinking in, in terms of a, a, a relationship between God and one individual, look at it that way. You don't actually have to think about 
you know, the comparing, the comparison between one particular individual versus all the others. Because if, if one individual could be chosen, that means everybody could have been chosen. Yeah, mm -hmm. that's right. Because Abraham was not any better than anybody else. God And then, next question is uh, the Israelites. Israelites, they were chosen, but a lot of them uh, went wrong way. After uh, being chosen to carry on this uh, work, a lot of them, instead of turning to God, and they were supposed to go and then spread uh, the good news and how good God is, and but they uh, imprisoned themselves in their own kind of pride and all that. Right? That's what uh, happened. And then what, what is Paul saying? He became a stumbling block so that Gentiles may be able to come to God. It's a very interesting. And then I understood it this way. God, what God chose uh, Israelites. What God wanted to do was this cup overflows, blessings, overflows. So it goes to other people. It overflows. But instead of overflowing, half filled, and it remained uh, there. And they continue like this. But God, what, what God wants to do is, I don't want to bless just you. I, I want to bless you so much that that blessing goes beyond you to other people. And then that's what, so what Paul is saying is, he stumbled, make it fall, so that the blessing, the water, go to other place. Because it was supposed to overflow, but because it doesn't overflow, stumble, and then water uh, went out, the blessing went out to others, and then, then this cup will God abandon once enough, once that work is done, then restore Israel again. Very hopeful message. That even if I get cut off, I really have burden for Israel. But for now, that God has decided to move on. I cannot just stay with you. I have to move on because there are other people too who will be blessed. So we Christians, we cannot be contained within our own blessings. We have to bless others. Otherwise, God make us stumble so that that blessing uh, may go to others now. So that is God's way of working. Even, even the unbelief of Israelites, even the unbelief of Israelites God used for the good cause to save us. So that, that's what uh, Paul, very positive message. Uh, so he has a re uh, like a reservation of blessing for the Israelites. Uh, and then continue uh, that blessing. And then he keeps us really, I mean, you are the chosen ones. God has blessed you. God opened your eyes so that you can see how much God loves. And then you are to go out and share with people around you uh, with humility. He said, uh, don't think that you're wiser than you are. You are only wild branch that is grafted. 
if the natural branch is cut off, how easily, how much more easily uh, you can be cut off. So always with humility that we share this goodness with other people. So there is no place for religious pride here. Because there's nothing that we did. God just chose you. Uh, so that is what Paul is saying. Okay. That is a conclusion of theoretical part of Romans. From chapter 12, uh, practical application. How we sh Christians should live. Uh, then, if that, that's what happened, how we Christians should live. So, uh, from next week, uh, two, for two weeks, we are going to look at uh, the practical example. Uh, any question? Okay. Yeah. Uh, I'm not quite clear where I'm going to break. From 12 to 16, but 16 is like a greeting. 16 is like a, after movie's over, you know, the whole the credits. <laughs> <laughs> so chapter 6 is all about so-and-so, we thank so-and-so, and so all the uh, credit. And so uh, chapter, uh, after chapter 15, I don't know how I'm going to divide. If you could read uh, 12 to 15. She's so diligent. <laughs> Ten times she has to read, right? <laughs> Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for opening our eyes and see how much you love us. Even that message in modern day is not good enough. Even that message is not good enough. We want something more. And we don't believe that many times. As Paul cried out, how much God loves us. How much God wants to save us and restore us, forgive us. And how much God wants us to live a full life, fulfilling life. Help us, O oh Lord, to trust in your goodness and in your kindness and help us to share that goodness with others. We thank you for the gospel. We thank you for the goodness. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.